Voyage of the Geek for another week. This episode is episode two of our three-episode exploration into the 1959 uh, sci-fi classic Journey to the Centre of the Earth. And in this episode, uh, joining me as always, Rick Legato, Tom McGill, Dan Miller, my name's Dave Scotland, and in this episode we're going to uh, spend a bit of time on the lost sofa with uh, Rick Legato. We're also going to be exposed to just the tip with uh, Tom McGill. But without any further ado, let's jump straight in to the lost sofa. Hola, everyone. Welcome to The Lost Sofa. Um, for those of you new to the rebooted Voyage of the Geek, Lost Sofa is kind of into the writer's room and beyond. Where we talk about the writers and the writing and how that um, came, comes out in the wash in the film. All right. This time we're looking at Journey to the Centre of the Earth. Earth, Earth, Earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this, as you may well know, and you should know if you don't, go slap yourself. Um, is Jules Verne uh, one of his most famous stories? Um, it belongs to uh, his major work, The Extraordinary Journeys, which uh, is more than 60 adventure n novels, including things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Around the World in 80 Days, and, of course, our journey to the centre of the earth. Um, it's also, along with the uh, uh, novels I just mentioned, it's... Journey to the Centre of the Earth is one that's had a few films made for it. Mm. In fact, it seems every time. Quite every, a few. Yeah. Well, it's more than, more than half a dozen. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah. It'd be about seven that TV I TV shows, show. cartoons. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be fair, if you make a film about space, how many films about space are there? At the moment but, but you go into the, the centre of the story. Earth. I'm talking about it specific. Well, how many stories can there be about going to the centre of the Earth? It's always going to be caves. But based, it's always on, going to be based on the Jules Verne novel, though, I mean. Like every, a lot of them. Some of them so are far. loose. They're so loose. But they're saying, still yeah. the same main character mm. and the same Arnie's leaving the path with the three strokes. And yeah. There's a lot of similarities in there. But you're right. Like It's more than just a genre. It's, it's the story keeps getting re-imagined. Um, a lot. Mm -hmm. It's got to hold some kind of record. There's not a yeah yeah. And uh, anyway, um, so looking at that, um, the story was written. Oh, I've forgotten. My, I've forgotten. Eighteen sixty-five. Yes, that's right. Yes. <laughs> um, Almost a hundred years before yeah. this, this film was made. Yeah. Yeah. So it's an inter interesting uh, trip there. Um, one of the writers was. Baltar Reich, um, he was an Austrian writer. Did I pronounce that right, Tom? Reich. Yeah. Reich, there you go. The, the screenplay writers, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. one of the screenplay writers. 
Uh, Walter was an Austrian. Um, he started out in 1918. So he's sort of, um, he actually wrote this at the end of his career. Um, and he grew up writing um, screenplays and stage plays um, in Austria and Germany. Um, like many other um, artists, uh, it was time to kind of um, run out of Dodge as the Nazis came to power. Hmm. Unfortunately, uh, Walter, not having the gift of hindsight, um, thought, if I just go across the border to Aust- back to my homeland, Austria, I'll be safe. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Turns out um, he needed to go a little bit further. Um, and uh, so he ended up in London, and that's kind of where his Hollywood um, connection starts start to be made. Um, before then, it was mainly German films, which, um, mind you, Germany had a great film in yeah. industry up to this point. Mm. So it's not like he was in the backwaters. He was actually a very successful um, script writer. Um, so going back to that, um, he ends up working for um, MGM for a while. Um, and this is interesting, um, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, um, and I'll show you this connection, is um, in MGM, uh, his main job was story construction, solving continuity problems, providing narrative, which is kind of like, did the script already have narrative, but obviously not, mm-hmm. um, in inventing characters and making relationships between characters plausible and compelling so basically, it was his job to go in um, to a bare bone script and turn it into something decent, and provide some m- meat. So a lot of that dynamic that we saw between Carla and and uh, the professor might have come straight out of his mind. Um, yes, and he was actually used to um, primarily writing rom coms, musicals, um, l- less ac- actiony titles, mm-hmm. basically. So you can see where. Um, you know, Pat Boone singing and stuff comes naturally in, um, but yeah, that 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 particularly that dialogue between the but professor. Do you know why there were two scriptwriters? Like, did one take over from the other, or was oh, it a collaboration? No, no it was a, a collaboration, okay. and I will get to that in a minute. Thank you, young Tom. Well, that's pretty interesting because we, we when talking with Tom, who's just recently read the book, you know, that's the things that they added. Mm. You know, so he must have taken that and just sort of. Yeah, fleshed it out a little bit, and yeah, um, basically because um, the original novel, while great, probably is a bit dry for film. Yeah, it probably yeah. wouldn't work so well. No, for it film. wouldn't work. It's it's really just a journey about a, a young person, an internal into monologue. A, yeah, somebody. turning into an adult and getting over yeah. his fears. And there's only three characters in the whole. Yeah, thing. so um, I can Walter, see he's got a hundred and six writing yeah, credits. He's, he's that's prolific. Yeah, he was. Um, he did a lot. Mm. Um, and also during this period, he um, did a bit of work with Billy Wilder, who's a really famous old... Yeah, that name rings a bell. Um, he, Billy Wilder is responsible for a whole bunch of, I guess, golden age Hollywood films, including Sunset Boulevard and, mm-hmm. right. and a whole bunch. Of, uh, that's just one that comes to mind, but there's a, a whole bunch. Um, he was very, um, quite important in the golden age of, of Hollywood. Anyway, um, all the other thing that Walter was apparently known for was tailoring his scripts to suit a specific star. Uh-huh. So in this case, was was moulding it around Pat Boone. Yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. He he was the draw card, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Isn't Very he first so. on the billing before James Mason? 
I think so. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I believe it. I think he is. It's similar and to The Magnificent Seven with the young – there was a young heartthrob actor that played the um, sort of Mexican um, member of the – Magnificent Seven. He was the yeah. billboard guy. He was, mm. but he was a young and upcoming. He was a singer. I mm-hmm. think. And uh, yeah. for many years, it caused a bit of confusion for me. For many years, I always associated the name Pat Boone with the old boy, with Ooh. James Mason's face. Okay. I always thought that was Pat Boone <laughs> until I did the research for this show and I realized that ah. he's the younger guy. Mm-hmm. I always thought, yeah, yeah. Pat Pat Boone was a bit of, um, I, I guess, in, to make the parallel to 2020, Lady Gaga of his time in. in a sense the pop star mm-hmm. that mm. could also translate the film. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Did did everyone see the hilarious link that he put on? Um, um, was it or was it you? No, it's Dan. No, 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 no. I put it on Discord, and it was uh, it was a Pat Boone version of um, Enter the Sandman. Sandman. Yeah, it? Metallica Enter the Sandman. Fucking hilarious. Yeah, but it's Pat a, Boone had had a time where he did a lot. He did a lot of those things. It was awesome. He mm. did. Uh, and it, did you bring up Richard Cheese? <laughs> yeah, he's the real real. Live Richard Cheese. If you know that lounge room style yeah. jazz. The crooner. Yeah. It was a crooner yeah. version, a yeah. Pat Boone crooner version yeah. of uh, the Into the Sandman. I thought yeah, it was, it was classic. Yeah, it was Even when he breaks down into the um, uh, the spoken word mm-hmm. part of it, you can mm-hmm. hear the girl's voice in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, we, we've got Walter Reich. He did um, basically Journey of Century Earth during his tenure at 20th Century Fox, I believe. Um, this was a bit of a change for him because he was no longer doing the musicals and the rom-coms and was working on their more action-y titles. But he brought his sensibilities, which is what we see in Journey of Century of the Earth. Anyway, moving right along, we then uh, get Charles Brackett. He was an American. Um, and Charles Brackett is well known for having one of the longest, most successful writing partnerships with Billy Wilder. There's a connection between him and Walter, the Billy Wilder c- c- connection. What's uh, Billy Wilder writing? Um, oh, it's comedy, he, isn't it? Mostly. Um, Niagara, uh, Sunset Boulevard. I'm trying to remember. <clears throat> um, actually, uh, Charles. The, yeah. He's got the apartment. Um, Some like it hot. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Sabrina. Um, Sunset Boulevard, so very accomplished. He's mm-hmm. a yeah. very accomplished writer, and yeah. when you look at his um, filmography, it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. So Charles Brackett with this Billy Wilder, um, they were actually dubbed by Life Magazine as the happiest couple in Hollywood. <laughs> um, and Walter was the kind of um, the quieter um, of the pair, and. Uh, Anyway, and that um, actually endured for about 20 years, that, that part- partnership, and they came up with heaps of films. Um, and that's one of the connections he has with Walter, which he writes Junior Centre of the, to the Centre of the Earth with. I can see on their filmography that there's a lot of films yeah. that they're both obviously writing on. They're the same and, film. Yep. Uh, old Charles and Walter ended up, um, after Charles um, stopped working with Billy Wilder, he started working with Walter mm-hmm. okay. and Journey of Senate. To the centre of the earth is one of the things they their most famous collaboration. So you can kind of see mm-hmm. the uh, I guess influence. Yeah, mm. and uh, and they had some interesting um, ideas ab- about this film, which kind of cracks me up. Um, where were we in my paper notes? Um, ah, yes, the uh, 
Charles Brackett said, uh, he's discussing journey to the centre of the earth here. Our picture describes action and events with not the slightest shadow of Freud. The serious thing about Jules Verne is that all he does is tell a story and exciting episodes, but his stories have always pushed man a little closer towards the unknown. What we've tried to do is retell the story in the best way of all, in the Verne vernacular. <laughs> um, so, so what does he mean by no Freud? He means Freud. He means lots of Freud. What do you, what do you mean? Well, he by means- bringing attention to the fact that there's not any in that. It's, the the book has that those Freudian undertones that that oh, the man okay. the journey from oh, right, 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 right. boyhood to manhood <laughs> has to go through a, through a womb and a rebirth. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, so these guys were like, "Well, that's a load of shit. Get rid of yeah. that." Basically, yes. That's a, thank you, Tom, for making that connection, and thank you, Dan, for for coming up to the, to my conclusion. Okay, job done. See you guys next time. Uh, <laughs> but that's, ex- Your that's ten minutes are up. <laughs> that's exactly it. This is. They've, they've taken a story and we see it happen now. Let's Hollywood the fuck out of it yep. to make mm-hmm. it successful and yep. pal- palatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's exactly what they've done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like the way that Brackett puts it, not a shadow of Freud. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brackett called the original story a delightful book written for young people. We simply couldn't have any solemnity about it. I've wanted very much to do this, to, to do this at the time. I'm tired of all these films based on thoughts at the back of sick minds. Um, so Brackett had some very um, strong ideas. I think he was very much, um, you know, mainstream commercialism and get rid of all this crazy mm-hmm. navel gazing. And I read somewhere because I thought, what does he mean, the, you know, the thoughts at the back of sick minds? Mm. Um, and I, I'm not 100% sure, but from some of my research, I think he was alluding to s- some of the horror films that were coming out at the time. Oh, yeah. Huh. The late 50s and 60s. Um, and and so some argue that he was just, you know, referring to that and how that's sick and twisted. Like trying to um, um, hold on to an earlier time, yeah. a sensibility. Uh, yeah. We see that a lot, don't we, in iterations of generation through art forms where you judge the new yeah. wave as – not worthy. Not exactly, proper. exactly. Not proper. Yeah. And that's probably what's going on here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or another um, one was what um, Tom was talking about, you know, getting rid of this that sort of Freudian subtext, you know, the deeper, more meaningful themes behind mm-hmm. films. Either way, he was reacting against the new wave of films and just made a nice romp. Mm. A that's good a very action success. romp. It was a very commercially successful yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. Um, Walter and Charles had quite a successful partnership at 20th Century Fox. Um, and a lot of it, um, obviously, um, Charles Brackett was very good and Walter brought that um, musical and dialogue character schnazziness, mm-hmm. which really helped. Um, you, would, you would see that the writers of any generation would have to try to fit into yeah. what's going on in cinema mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... A, that's a fascinating – you'd love to be a fly on the wall in those writing discussions where in one end goes the premise, sometimes pre-written by a novel or something like that, and then out the other end is the thing that gets ultimately turned into a film. And what happens in between would be fascinating, wouldn't it, those mm-hmm. discussions? Because part of those discussions could be anything from, well, the producer's got a cousin and 
she's always wanted to be an actress. Yeah. <laughs> and you've got to work that shit in. Yeah, exactly. Or the main actor is a fuckwit and he, he wants to be able to do. And what's the uh, famous thing in the um, Death of Superman Begins where the producer just had to have a, a giant oh, spider. spider. Yeah. Yeah. And the seven writers for <laughs> Gladiator because Russell Crowe wanted to have so much say in that process. Ooh. So that's that writing room. That you'd love yeah. to be privy to. When, mm-hmm. when Pat Boone, because he's a very devout Christian and motivational Ooh. speaker, and when he he married at nineteen, his nineteen year old girlfriend, and uh, when he got to film businesses, one of his criteria was that there shouldn't be any kissing. Mm-hmm. And how do you make films? Because most films have a love story in there, and so when the first film that he did, where he actually had to kiss a woman, he had to go back and to ask for permission. I have to talk to my wife first. Get get her to okay it. So I can give a little subtle little kiss on the lips or on the cheek somewhere. Oh, yeah, Pat, Pat Poon was quite strict. Um, and in my recent... Or is. He's still alive. Oh, that's, oh he's, he's still alive. alive. I think Sorry, Pat. I know. Yes. Holy shit. Yes. Check. I check. He's got to be 90, mid, mid-90s. 85. Ooh. Good on you, Pat. So he was only yeah. a kid in this. He was only, what, 19 in this, 20. 20, something like that, yeah. yeah. And um, a speculation that he, he despite the... Because this was hugely successful at the time. Um, and despite the ease, it could just throw a song into a science fiction, you know, anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's science fiction. You know, there's always a moment for a song. <laughs> it's an adventure. Um, <laughs> we should have more of those. <laughs> I think that was a jarring thing for me. Like, yeah. like to hear people breaking into song in a science fiction film is not common. That is not a common thing of any genre, of any age. Mm. Like you, th- you think about the movies we've covered in the past, those old school um, uh, What's the? Uh, I say when the Ewoks did it in Return of the Jedi, everybody still hates them for it. <laughs> I stand corrected. You're right. You're right. The I'm Ewoks brought it back. Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. No. Oh, there it worked because they turned that into a musical. That was a musical to start with. Wasn't no, it was it? a film. I thought it was, it was a musical a- before it became a film. No, it, was, no, it, was no, it used to be a film. Was it first? The old black and white movie. Yeah. Um, is that he was a little uncomfortable to science fiction genre? Because of uh, the Lord, yeah, it was a, it was a little bit out there, um, and he wasn't quite comfortable. Well, there's ancient it's societies, only, only ancient societies that predate that's, the Lord. That's why. That's why the um, speculation is that he just wasn't quite comfortable. But he, in hindsight, that, also I mean, says it's probably the best film I ever made. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were certainly they weren't afraid to be thrown about the words heathen. Yeah. Um, heathen Alterstone in, yes. into this film. Yeah. Maybe he had something to do with that. And uh, also science fiction, um, you have to think in 1950s and 60s, just as it is now, it's always pushing the envelope. That's mm. right. Uh, asking the what ifs. Mm. He says a prayer in this, doesn't he? Yeah. And, and the professor has to correct him because he says, Lord of the heavens and the earth. Yeah, that's right. He wants to generalise it or and, something. And then the professor corrects him and says, maybe you should. Lord of the universe, I think, mm-hmm. is how he yeah. correct, corrected it. Mm-hmm. I never noticed it. Yeah, you're right. So, yeah, that's one of the speculation that he just wasn't. That comfortable with this new weird genre. Anyway, so um, yeah, so you can kind of see that the, these influences, the musical influences, the Pat Boone influences, the let's take a you know an interesting story. It's not very commercial and turn it into a Hollywood blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got uh, I've quoted Charles Brackett. I'm going to quote um, our Austrian friend Walter here. Um, I had written a lot of science fiction for magazines, and Charles Brackett knew about that. They also knew that I'd written a magazine articles on Jules Verne. I'd studied Jules Verne and always wanted to write his biography. 
but I never got around to it. When they brought the Jules Verne novel from his estate and assigned me, I was delighted. The master's work, though a beautiful basic idea, went in a thousand directions and never achieved a real constructive roundness. With the exception of the basic idea, there is very little of the novel left in the film. I invented a lot of the new characters. The Pat Boone part, the part of the professor's wife, which is uh, Carla, because she does become mm-hmm, his wife, mm-hmm. eventually. Oh, you made Professor Good at Books. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the part of the villain, and the fact that it all played in Scotland. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> Although they had, had good reasons to do so at the time, because they... In this, when Jules Verne wrote it, they in the book they're Germans mm-hmm. because obviously they're the best at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the sixties, um, when this after World War Two, after World War Two, when turned out the Germans aren't quite as <laughs> yes, <laughs> aren't quite as marketable as when, they were. When German <laughs> shepherds became Alsatians, <laughs> yeah, yeah you I thought it was nice that a Frenchman wrote a book where the Germans <laughs> yeah. are the uh, anyway. Yeah. So yeah, at, at the time in the sixties, Scotland was probably the foremost uh, mm. people in in geology. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's true. why they, they changed to set that into uh, Yeah, they Edinburgh. punch above their weight with the sciences. Yeah. Absolutely. But it, Pat Boone was in a lot of those Bonnie Prince Charlie mm. uh, puncing about the highlands and singing a mm. song in a beret. Um, <laughs> I just think he liked wearing a dress. <laughs> <laughs> he, he seemed to be that, – that was like his pet genre. There was certainly a lot of films uh, associated with Pat Boone um, and a lot of those biscuit tin – visuals of the Scottish Highland noble um, from a lot of his films, um, they still ring true today, even though they have no bearing in in reality whatsoever. (laughs) So um, now we get to, where was I? We talked about Jules and Charles and Walter. Ah, yes. Um, The the little mini segment I like to call Smash the Patriarchy. Um, I think this film does pretty good, actually. Yep. I was quite surprised when I, I saw it that um, actually bring up, I, I was actually speaking to Dan about this um, earlier in the week, that um, she gives pretty good. Like mm-hmm. we have Charles Mason, um, you know, you can't do that, you're a woman. Yep. And she's not taking any of that crap. Yep. Uh, for, so for 1959, I was actually quite impressed only, with that. only one point <clears> in the <throat> movie where she has to trip, up, trip over a rope and has to be saved by the men. Yeah. It's the only standout moment. And in fact, it's her that is suspicious of the uh, um, the direction that was changed yeah. and goes back and in the face of being told not her to and the other female. dawdle and stuff like the that. The other female, Gertrude, was also suspicious. Ah, uh, yes. And I like how they um, she even played the female card. Yeah. yeah. So they said, you can't come because you're a... Useless woman. She's no, 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 no. Yeah. But then when she has to shoot the, yes. the I'm a girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah then she immediately plays with it. Which is so. And it's fine. Which is so 2020. <laughs> and that's cool because she's just like. What do you okay. mean we have to share the bill? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I thought want, that was cool. That, like, I want this. equal pay, but I'm not touching that cockroach. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's actually quite progressive for its time, surprisingly. Very. So. One Very. thing that I thought was weird in the, in the last one that we did was. Um, what was the last one? The last film. Yeah, the last film. Oh, it was only a couple of weeks ago. It feels like a lifetime. It was at least this island a Earth. coronavirus ago. This island Earth. <laughs> the um, the actress had the actress had super tight pants on, mm, right? Yeah. So she was being all mm. um, hot and attractive. That's so right. tight that she couldn't move. That's right. Meanwhile, Carla has kind of the opposite. She's got the biggest, fl- you know, yeah. rug of a dress that's made out of like. Yeah, 15 the, layers or something or other. Yep. She does yeah. turn a bit busty at the end. 
yeah. when they're down to their rags and all for some reason the the professor the asked her to take her bra off. Yes. Oh yeah, because she has it. She's wearing it. It's a corset. Yeah, it's a corset. Some wooden tight. contraption. Of because this is the Victorian. I think it's. I think it serves two purposes. The, it keeps the the svelte figure, but also uh-huh. presses up. It lifts. Uh, yes. Because um, cause lifts is, and squeezes. Because this is the very very late Victorian era, or maybe mm. even Edwardian era, mm. and there was actually a lot of um, the early feminists and yep. suffragettes were saying women. Yep. Um, the corset is stopping women from doing things because uh-huh. they can't breathe properly. Uh-huh. Um, they can only breathe shallow breaths because of the, the corset. Mm-hmm. And so he's actually act inadvertently going, you know, take off that, that <laughs> re- restrictive garment. <laughs> yeah. for, you know, completely for pragmatic pur- purposes. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting that they made a point of it. Yeah. Like, mm. like screen time is expensive. Yeah. And they made a point of making a whole thing about her to, and the duck had to bring it back and all, yeah. the whole thing, someone tied the bloody corset yeah, to the duck. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I'm the same as you. It's like that's in, interesting that all that stuff. Someone made there. a point of it. I don't know who it was, but I'll, somebody in that production decided to make a point of I'd that. Say that's a good thing. Choice. I'd say it's Walter's um, mm. um, stuff dynamic between characters that mm. she was sort of the moral center to the to the journey mm. i think i think realistically you could walk away thinking that she was sort of in charge yeah, without without wearing the stripes yeah this yeah. that's what i liked about it is that they didn't let one of the two dominate each other no. they went back and forward and they pushed and shoved mm. and um yeah it was balanced yeah which was, was cool she was the one writing the journal for the whole yeah Time. And and at some point, Alec gets lost, and then mm. they think that he died, and so he, re- he renames the expedition in Alec's honor mm-hmm. to the instead of the Lindenburg expedition, they call it the McEwen expedition. Yeah. And then he forgets all about it, and <laughs> and she, but she has, continues. She on. continues yeah. in the in the in the in the note to always call it the McEwen expedition, and he pulls her up on it yeah. later <laughs> on. Like, yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing this? <laughs> I think he even says, "You're very just your very appearance is an yeah. affront." <laughs> <laughs> Sort of in his toffee way, he's losing his shit. <laughs> he's fed up being fed up being. Sort and of then like, she she kind of Luke, you know, loses a little bit of. Um, she loses her cool yeah. later on in the thing. Yeah. And she says, "All right, well, I'm fucking leaving. That's right. Fuck says, you. Well, I'll call you a cat taxi, shall I? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh. And I, I think that was a cool moment. It was a cool moment that she was she laughed at her own yeah yeah you know, shenanigans and stuff. That's what I said. It's balanced. They didn't they didn't let one. Of the two, I think it was well written. Too much ahead. It's easy to forget that that was all written. Yeah, 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 true. That was all in. There was no ad lib going on in those days. Oh, these guys way too expensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, Which brings me to some interesting uh, script business. Oh, don't tell me I've forgotten some of my pieces of paper. Poo. Um, There's a section where uh, um, Alec McEwen's. Wondering if she's going to pull out. And he says, I wonder if Madame Göteborg will change her mind at last moment. And James Mason says, You make my mouth water. <laughs> and, and, uh, and Alex says, Oh, Hans is tying, tying the rope on, on her. And, uh, and Charles Mason responds with the, What if I can persuade him to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's not happy about having her from the very beginning. Oh no, not at all. And uh, yeah. and that kind of sets up that that relationship. Sort of 
um, in his very toffy politeness, polite way, he really doesn't want her there. Sadly, <laughs> they don't really show that progressing because at mm. the end, he they're a bit tender on the beach before yeah. they fall asleep and then he proposes to her at the very end of the film. And I wonder if that is because the actors actually didn't get along. Yeah, maybe. Because um, they, they, they didn't they really they develop didn't. much mm. of that uh, friendship. I got the sense, whether through the writing or, or not, that his impatience with the whole female thing was more along the lines of practicality. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not not through any I'm dominant, you're not, I'm malicious. over you, whatever. There wasn't didn't put, seem to be much malicious. It was more like, well, how you how, you, gonna how are you going to go to the toilet? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. where are you going to sleep? Things like that, yeah. you know. It's, and and it, because he's just the scientist, he's got the blinkers on, he just yeah. cares about the the journey. And yeah. he sees women in a certain way that they mm. will do certain things, need certain things. Yep. And he just can't see how that's going to work in his Mm. E- expedition. Yep. Um, and then, as we see, she kind of surprises him, and she wins in the end. Yeah. She wins him over and gets exactly what she wants. She do- she doesn't remain a widow for long. <laughs> no, she yeah. seemed to have shrugged off the fact that she was recently widowed. Yeah, she was a little quick out of that. Yeah, a few you, tears. You get the sense she like, probably didn't like the old professor <laughs> that got that got uh, knocked off. Or rattles through the underworld with the murderer of her husband the entire time. Yeah, yeah. maybe she was. That's she it. had something to do with it. Yeah, maybe. Although, although she, <laughs> we don't really know. Although she does say that part of the reason for her giving the equipment, James Mason, is to make up for her husband's ill deeds because she she, mm. she didn't think that was right. Mm-hmm. And she's the only Trying one to, to speak Icelandic. Icelandic, you know. So there we go. Cool. So that's my take cool. on the lost sofa. Always, always great to uh, share some time on the lost sofa with you, uh, Rickers. There is something going down, and I it's always good. The lost At sofa. Last. We'll have full lyrics to this by uh, next show. Sofa, sofa, sofa. <laughs> So that brings us to our next segment. Uh, Tom McGill's going to show us just the tip. Excuse me while I whip this out. <laughs> Here, I'll reset it for you. I've got the timer. Oh, you have to. Generally, I always just try to find uh, interesting tidbits of trivia that, that the film... Can, that can be said about the film. We've covered a few in the previous two segments when we talked about the the lava being made of oatmeal. We talked about the dimetrodons being uh, rhinoceros lizards that had sail fins glued to their backs and then presumably pr- spray painted. Um, we t- discussed conjecture about how many animals might have been harmed in this film. How many got harmed just by having to get them to stand still long enough to get them to sit there. He certainly filmed a lot of footage of to lizards put the prosthetics to, on, to put this on film them. together. Because yeah. I couldn't find any seams. No, it was really like well. It was really well, well done. And we're talking about a, a live lizard. And Granted, it's held up. Maybe they the froze them because don't lizards slow down when yes. when they're cold? Yes. Maybe they might have introduced yeah, a little coldness and it slowed them down long enough to, to glue the shit on. Quite possible. Well, the lava that they had was supposedly sort of red oatmeal to make it look like lava, but steam was coming out of it. Yeah, I saw that. So it's I imagine there was, there was dry ice yeah. mixed in yeah. with the lava oatmeal yeah. that they're like pouring over the same these trick, uh, they used the year after when they did the time machine. Okay. Uh, it was just 1960, and they did the same thing there. Is they that have the Jules Verne as well? No, that's H.G. Uh, Wells. Very which, along the same lines, Which isn't is it? Jules Verne's arch enemy. Arch enemy? Oh, um, are they? They're sort of... Uh, well, yes, Jules Verne fought H.G. Wells was a bit of a hack. 
There's a show in that it, it, in yeah. itself, isn't it? Frenchman and an Englishman at each other's throats. There, Jeez, how surprising. Stay with us. So, the film was uh, nominated for three Oscars in 1959. Yeah. So, for Best Sound, um, nominated, but Ben Hur won that one. Mm-hmm. And special Best Special Effects, mm-hmm. which I think the year after, or two years after, was re- renamed to the spe- Best Visual Effects. But at the time, it was still called spe- spe- Best Special Effects Oscar. Uh-huh. Yep. Nominated as well. And, ben and Tom, for the for the home, the people playing at home, difference today between special today effects and visual the, effects? The, the special effects and visual effects get very, very confused. Essentially, visual effects is, is everything that you do to the footage. It's so optical. Once it's filmed, yeah. you make changes to the to the to the image by you know digitally mm. putting things in or color correcting Compositing, it. Anything sort of you do to the film. After. Special effects is physical. On set, they, they put little squibs on characters to make the blood squirt out, or yep. when they paint lizards or put the put the sails on lizards, and you yep. put it on set and you film that. That's yep. special effects. That happens on the day of shooting, whereas visual effects have, happen once the film has been developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, best special effects at the, t- at the year was also Ben-Hur. And then this one was also nominated for best art direction. Or some other sources said best set design. So okay. I think I guess for the just for the for the caverns and everything. They shot a lot of it in in caves, didn't some they? Some of it. Some of it in was California in, in Germany, uh, and in uh, California, I think as well. Maybe, maybe. I know they definitely uh, choose chose some uh, caves in in Germany to film in. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, a lot of it was on stage. You can see at some point when in, they're in the underground cave, when they're just about to leave, paper mache. They they they, they scrub past some of the stalactites, uh, <laughs> some, some of the crystals, and just go. <laughs> <laughs> you can, you can, you can, you can see, see the actual strips of paper on some of the uh, where they got a little bit slack. But well done, paper mache. Well done. However, didn't get an Oscar because mm. guess what? Ben Hur won that as well. Ben Hur destroyed that year the 32nd Academy Awards. There were. 25 categories and Ben Hur got 11. It was world record. Wow! First didn't, film to get 11 Academy Awards. Didn't um, Around the World in 80 Days win Best Picture the year before? I'm not sure what happened the year before. It was either the 20,000 Leagues Beneath the Sea. That's a Disney movie, yeah. Yep. It was either that one. Also or with with um, James Mason. Mason. James, James Mason. Mason that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Jules Verne novels that were done the preceding this film won Best Picture the year before. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure which Fair one. Fair enough. I'm it was not one sure. of the two. But, yeah, this one just couldn't get against. No, no film could stand against Ben-Hur that year, I think. They, they it just, just yeah. totally cleaned up. The, the, one of the few things Ben-Hur didn't win was, was Best Musical and uh, Best <laughs> Short Cartoon, you know, for obvious reasons, but pretty much everything else. <laughs> everything else. 11 out of 25. It was, that's, that's, uh, that was an epic in the truest yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, sadly for this film... Which deserved a few Oscars, I think, for its visuals. Um, it was the wrong year for it to be nominated. Uh, interestingly, the the duck. There was four ducks. There oh. was two. Am two I ducks. right in thinking this is award-winning duck? It, I don't think so. Yeah, it won a um, Gertrude the Duck won a Patsy Award. Patsy Award, according oh, to IMDb. It? Now I looked. And what did we learn about Patsy Awards last time? From the what? From uh, Orangey the cat. From Orangey the cat. <laughs> Orangey the cat is the the, the the animal's equivalent of the Oscar. That's mm-hmm. right. Well, Gertrude won a uh, Patsy. Patsy for was this invented role. for the first horse that died. There was a horse that died on on set for a film, and then they thought they should maybe nominate animals to get an special award, and yep. so the Patsies were, were invented, and they ran until the mid eighties. However, 
IMDb is the only place that claims that Gertrude won a duck. And I looked at the award list and not a duck has ever won the Patsy Awards oh, ever. Really? Yeah, sadly, because I wanted to learn more about why Gertrude won the awards. And actually the... Um, well, you it? heard it here first. Just, <laughs> just the tip. Correcting throw, the record. Throwing shade on yes. uh, uh, IMDb. Well, IMDb citation needed. <laughs> Wikipedia has, has quotes. You have to put your citations in there. IMDb doesn't do that. Okay. So there's just one sentence. Gertrude yep. won the Patsy Awards. But Canidae.com, which... Keeps a list of all the animal winners. Is there is no mention of any duck ever winning the Patsy Awards, let alone in 1995. Okay. Uh, 1959. Okay. So I is say poultry, shenanigans. I call shenanigans. Is there poultry bias there? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it could be. It could be. Birds win it, but not no ducks. It's more. Yet. It's more mammals. That That's are... foul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I did that. Do a thing. Terrible. <laughs> Faster. <laughs> 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 Don't you have it? <laughs> oh, no, I do. Where is it? Hey. That's the one. <laughs> Better late than never. You've got to be really quick on that one. <laughs> I was asleep at the wheel. So, yeah, but two, two ducks. Two ducks for the film and every duck on a well, Did on something a set. tragic happen to duck I, no, version 1.9? No, I just think they had one in Iceland and one in Hollywood. Okay. Because... Okay. It uh, doesn't make sense to sure. take the duck over the over the over Atlantic. The no, no, no. They, they don't put okay. horses on helicopters and they don't <laughs> take ducks over the water because it doesn't stick to them. Did you get the impression that they painted the ring around the yes. duck's eye? Okay. This is not an eider duck. That's not what eider ducks look like. I wonder if they if they even take the, the trouble of painting one. Why don't they just paint one like the way an eider duck should look like, with it, which has a black belly? Okay. Anyway, they, yeah, they painted a ring around the eye. And uh, yeah, every, every animal on set needs to have a stand-in as well, I guess it's... Um, Back up. A stunt duck. A stunt, stunt duck. duck. Yeah. A, a stand-in duck. Because Understand. there is a couple of um, shots where Gertrude would fly gracefully to be caught by hands. <laughs> she always gets... <laughs> there always seems to be... There was, there's an arc. There's, there's definitely a lot. There's camera who just lobs that duck through the air and then Hans sort of stretching it. You can see Hans. <laughs> kind of half not paying attention and then, oh, fuck. Hans, who was played by Peter Ronson, who's That's right. an actual Icelander. He's got a funny story. They they actually speak. The Icelandic that they speak in the film is actual. I'm not sure about, um, about Alena Dahl, how well her Icelandic is, but the people who... Icelandic people who have seen the if film say this actually makes sense. she didn't know Icelandic, she threw it really well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. She, she sort of, it felt like a person that knew the language. It mm -hmm. didn't, whereas I think Mason in throughout the film tries to throw in a bit of French. I think when they're trying to mm. translate <laughs> the tapping from Gertrude on the other side of the wall, he's throwing in some French. And you can tell that's Richie Benno French. <laughs> that's not <laughs> Chateau de Flore. Uh, yeah, yeah. Parlez-vous. <laughs> But being the only Icelandic actor on the film, he's actually credited twice in the movie. He's credited That's as right. the actor for Hans. And the and technical, technical advisor. advisor. Yeah, so yeah, what yeah. does that mean? He's like a mountaineer or I guess he climber? makes sure that the Icelandic costumes are appropriate, which I, I hear they're not. They've been... So he was studying in Southern California as a hurdler. He was he was an but Olympic. Hurdles. He was an Olympic. He was in the Olympics. Oh, that's um, why he's got such a good as body. a hurdler. But he represented Iceland mm -hmm. in hurdling in in the Olympics, and that's why he's, he's massive. He's a massive unit. He's mm -hmm. a big guy with those big gangly yeah. legs, mm -hmm. but he's proportionately large. He's not just skinny tall. Mm -hmm. um, he's actually broad and strong tall. Mm -hmm. You could tell that he probably squish you out. He 
probably have massive hands and block out the sun sort of thing. He's, and and just to be sure, humans. this is hurdling, not to be confused with hurtling, which is what they do with a duck a lot of times. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> the duck hurtled. The duck <laughs> was hurtled. Other interesting actors are Alan Napier. He's the dean of um, the faculty who always runs around with his little mm. uh, sidekick, with his little uh, boy wonder. Absolutely. What do we know Alan Napier from? Well, it's funny that you should say boy wonder. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm giving, I'm teasing you with the with the answer, and you're also taking away a lot of the questions from my quiz <laughs> later on, <laughs> which I think is usually the way. Um, he is famously the butler. He's Alfred. He's Alfred the butler from Batman. Alfred from the, the TV butler show, from the, from the original TV, TV yeah. Batman. Yeah, the oh. dean of the universe, the tall guy. Oh. Just look at the things; he'll he'll, he'll pop up any moment yeah, now, and then you'll. I didn't to totally didn't recognize. That is Alfred. He's got the same mannerisms. Even stands there like this. Just, yes, sir. Okay. I recognized him in the film, and and as soon as I looked up his name, <clears> sure <throat> enough, it was mm-hmm. Alfred. Yeah, he's got. He stands. He's a very tall man. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that him? Missed him. No. Uh, and then we also already talked about James Mason and Arlene Dahl not getting along very well. She was a bit of a diva on set. Oh, she really? didn't like getting wet and getting, you know, being in the in the water. And at the, at the end, when they're on the on the raft, when they get turned around in circles on the thing, she was just panicking and screaming, and, "Get me um, off this!" Apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he shouted back, "Said, shut up, woman! Or we'll have to do this tick many more times. Shut up and get through it." And she fainted. And she fainted for thirty minutes. She was she oh, was really? unconscious. What? Yeah. So James Mason was right. <laughs> taking a woman on this panic attack. Faint. <laughs> so there's that we've got the um yeah we've got uh, the patsy awards possibly not being true mm-hmm. um and then the oscars that it didn't dis- uh, didn't um win and then we could also go into a deep dive into all the science we already mentioned the echolocation device that they take when when an, yeah. when an echo hum, hundreds hundred of times echoes around, then the last echo points. <laughs> I like Whoa. how it had like a, this big sort of funnel on yeah. the end, like yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of a blunderbuss funnel. <laughs> That's right. That that would help somehow. Yeah. And the junction of the magnetic forces snatches gold away. If it was only a few years later, it'd have like a little radar dish on there with a little little point in the middle. <laughs> but we, we could use it in the in the. Um uh, on the grassy knoll in Dallas to work out who yes. where the shooter actually was. Yeah. Was he in the window? Was he over there on the grassy knoll behind the fence? But it was All a from bit that weird. One machine. It was a bit weird that they only used that once and mentioned that <laughs> once and it. then never talked about it, it ever right. again. That's right. And they didn't give it a name. Did it have a name? No, they have to ignore things. You have to just ignore the fact that there are <laughs> that the that the that the caves are always impeccably lit. Yeah. That you're in in yeah. underground and from all directions there's beautiful light. You have to ignore the fact that they're in there for 280-something days, two-thirds of a year, and they only have little backpacks and no food with them to ever last that long. That's right. Let alone the fact that they would get scurvy and oh, whatever. They'd, they would, they'd they would, starve in a They would fortnight. die from, from just... Vitamin D deficiency. Gertrude would have lasted a lot less. <laughs> Gertrude didn't have any minced meat to take. Yeah, dried meat to eat. So, yeah, you got to really suspend your disbelief with that story. There's, there's Alfred over there. Oh, yeah. So, All right, what other signs did they have? I like these backpacks and I was thinking... Uh, the breathing units. Those backpacks just reminded me of... Um, Ghostbusters. Oh, uh, yes. You know, they yeah. all had those with the big cylinders. Very. Um, but they're also very steampunk. Steampunk. Yeah, they? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Brass. Jules Verne, a lot of steampunk is inspired yeah. by Jules mm. Verne. Yeah. Um, although people say Jules Verne was the first steampunk. He wasn't steampunk, he was science fiction. Mm-hmm. But we've turned that aesthetic yep. 
into steampunk. Yeah, mm-hmm. you see it a lot. You definitely a lot of those early mm. um, twenty thousand leagues beneath the sea is mm. also very steampunky, isn't mm. it? Lots of dials and mm. stuff like that, like physical dials. Because mm. it's basically steampunk's basically looking at um, it's a type of science fiction that's set in the steam era. Yeah, mm. absolutely, that's exa- and that's what these actually hoses are. and brass yeah. and yeah. yeah. The yeah. uh, Leidendorf uh, apparatus was was new at the time. The, that generates electricity without an open flame because you can't go underground. You don't know if there's gases that'll explode, so you cannot take open flame with you. Let alone how many how many open flames would you have to carry and to sustain you for the long. So it was like journey. a wind up generator, wind-up and, generator a, and yeah. a battery powered light. Uh, I guess the, the the wind up charges up the battery. It's got a coil. Yeah, like a the coil glows when it. Receives electricity. Yeah. And finally, Arnold Agnesum survives, usually. And he comes back to the surface, writes writes about his journey, writes a, at least writes a notes that the professor finds in a book with a code. One of the, the original Sucknesum the original in, or the, in, in or the, the book, account? In the book. The, the, because in this film, they find the skeleton at the end. Okay, yeah. And that, that doesn't. that Because the reason the professor knows about the Sucknesum yeah. journey is because Sucknesum made the journey. We already conjectured that he probably did it a few times in order to make his notches. But he made the journey and he came back and he wrote about it and uh, in code and the professor learns about deciphers that code and that's actually one of the interesting parts at the start of the book is okay. the, the, the the deciphering of that rune writing code which is uh i did the journey it says you know go to the snaffle circulus at the first day of june and see the scarraris light and blah blah blah. he tells that writes it in latin reverses it so it's written backwards and then he takes every sixth letter and writes them vertically and then he turns that into runes. (laughs) (laughs) And and in the book, the the professor sees that rune thing and he goes, hmm, I think. Well, he he translates all the letters and he goes, he counts the letters and he goes, okay, there's this many E's and there's this many things and this guy was a scientist, therefore this is Latin. And then... Check so out. It's more about language. He goes, there's this many columns. So obviously he took every first, he just deciphers this thing on the go, first try. <laughs> yeah. He just goes the whole thing and then he gets a, a sentences doesn't make sense because it's Latin backwards. And that's where he stumps. He doesn't figure that last bit out that the, Latin, that the thing is in reverse and then spends hours and hours brooding over it and thinking that he did a mistake. So it's a very entertaining, memorable part of the book. And which they probably, for film reasons, couldn't really turn into a, into well, a film. Yeah, it, it, I nearly passed out just listening to you. Talk, <laughs> talk about it. I think that actually has historical sort of precedence that I can't remember exactly, but I think scientific people from around about that era, era or a little bit before, yeah. when they came up with something yes. that they thought was really smart, they'd yes. write it in some bizarre code, yes. post it to everybody, yes. And then to prove like, that they had the idea, but they can't first. prove the idea yet, so they can't. They have tell, to make oh, sure okay. they can't tell people That's the right. idea. They have to make sure that they got their their, their footprint in it, <clears throat> yep. mm-hmm. and so they would often put in, uh, or um, they would they would often make um, anagrams. Yeah. So yeah. you would make an, you, you write the discovery in, and then you make an anagram of it. Um, except one one scientist, his his anagram was. A A A A A B B B B B C C C D T F F H. So he just took all the letters, put them in alphabetical order. So there you go. Sure, that means you've invented everything. Yes, Most of them are a bit more inventive. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was the interesting stuff that I could find about this film. Very good. Awesome. That's another episode of Just the Tip. Thank you, Tommy. As always, very informative and entertaining. Even though you've stolen 
large portion of my material for what's coming up. You can't make a, triv- a trivia quiz just after I cover the trivia section. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, gonna, I'm in trouble. Okay, that brings us to the end of another episode of Voyage of the Geek, our deep dive into Journey to the Centre of the Earth, the 1959 sci-fi classic. Uh, Join us next time for our final episode of our three-episode journey. Um, Until then, it's uh, bye for now. See ya. Bye-bye. Adele.